Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Would you go with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8 and our text this morning we will be in verses 12 through 17. For many, Romans 8 has been a chapter that God has used to give great comfort, hope, joy. And there have been many who have said that of all the chapters in the Bible, Romans 8 may be the greatest. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once described the Bible as though it was a collection of gemstones. And Romans has a lot of gemstones in it, he would say. But the brightest gem in all the scriptures, Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, was Romans chapter 8. So we will be in chapter 8 again this morning. And the title of the message is called Godly Confidence. Godly Confidence. So when you hear the word confidence, you may think of trust or resolve, courage, a boldness. You have a fullness of hope, freedom. An openness. You, you can talk and say what you, what you want to say and do. But where does this kind of confidence come from? See, this morning we're not talking about self-confidence. That's not going to help us. There, there's no room to say that I'm the best and all I need is just to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need to think positive thoughts. That's not going to give us a kind of steady and secure confidence for all of life. Uh, that's not going to help us to say, I know every answer to every question. All it takes is to play Jeopardy with your friends one time, and you'll know, I found out the hard way, I don't know the answer to every question. Even though I thought I did, I, was, I do not. I want us to have a godly confidence. See, it, it won't help us to say, well, just tell yourself positive thoughts and speak your own truth. There's no such thing as your truth. You see, we live in God's world. God made us. We bear His image. And God is truth, and He's given to us His Word. His Word is truth. John 17, 17. So this morning, as we dive into this text, I want us to see, and Lord willing, let us all possess by the Spirit a God-centered confidence. So here, here's, what, here's what I mean by God-centered confidence. Here's some scriptures that will illustrate this point for us. Ephesians 3.12 Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Or Philippians 1.14 And most of the brothers, this is Paul, he was imprisoned and he's writing, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Philippians 3.3, 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh, no self-confidence. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews 13.5 and 6, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you 
nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is a God-centered confidence. And we will see this in the text this morning, Romans 8. So here's the aim. Here's the question for us this morning. How can followers of Christ live with holy confidence? How do we possess this kind of God-centered confidence that we see in the scriptures? Well, first, number one, we can have a holy confidence as we, we must have. We are given life by the Spirit. Number one, we are given life by the Spirit. And we see this in Romans 8, verses 12 and 13. You can follow along with me. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, the section begins with a so then, or therefore. So we have to look back. We have to look back in our previous section. And what we see is that we have to remember the Holy Spirit gives believers new life. Romans 8.1, we're said to be in Christ. So how does a person become in Christ? A person comes in Christ when they, they first have to see the seriousness of their sin. How, how serious the plight is of their sinfulness. Their eyes and their heart have to become open to see the offensiveness of sin. The rebellion that sin is before God. We have to become convicted of our sin because God is holy. And he is perfect. And we've seen this in our New City Catechism questions. That the God, He's holy and He's given us a law. And His law requires personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And we saw it even this morning. We shall have no other gods before Him. And the problem is, is the law convicts each and every one of us that we've all sinned against God. Not one of us have kept God's law perfectly. And because of that, there are consequences the consequence of sin is death, spiritual death. Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They cannot be in God's presence anymore in the way that they were before. There's physical death. We all will face death. And without Christ, the punishment for sin is eternal death. So where do we go from here? We must run to Christ. When a sinner runs to Christ, forsaking my sin, repenting of my sin, and trusting wholly, fully on Jesus Christ, that he lived the life perfectly that I could never live. He suffered on the cross, though I deserve to suffer on the cross and die for my sin. And Jesus rose from the dead, and because he, rise from, he is risen from the dead, my resurrection is secure. My assurance is in Christ alone by faith. That's what it means to be in Christ. And when you are in Christ, the Spirit gives you life, gives us life. When the Spirit gives us life, letter A, He gives us a heavenly Father. This is, we see this even from Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christians have a new standing before God. In Christ, we've been set free from the penalty of sin because Jesus bore the death penalty. This is this what we mean by penal substitutionary atonement. There's a penalty for breaking the law. Jesus suffered in our place and he bore God's wrath, atonement. And if we are in Christ, not only has God's wrath been covered, but the righteousness of Christ, 
that he lived the law perfectly gets credited to you and to me by faith. His righteousness becomes my righteousness, when our righteousness when we trust in him. So in the Old Testament, God has revealed himself to be a father. He is the father and Israel is his son. Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, for we are all the work of your hand. Exodus 4.22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And Hosea 11.1 and 2, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's the Exodus. Verse 2, The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offering to idols. See, Israel was, they were called the children of God, Hosea 1. But Israel, they were rebellious children. They did not walk in the way that the Lord commanded them to walk. And because of that, there were consequences. Exile and Nehemiah, the, the temple was de destroyed and had to be rebuilt. But all, even through the Old Testament, God is preparing the way of redemption. He's preparing for one day, Matthew 1.21, God will himself save his people from their sins. So remember, we need more than just external conformity to God's commands. We need an internal heart of worship. Israel had the law. They just missed the point of the law. They missed the point. They, must, they need righteousness through faith. By the time we get to Romans 9 and 10, maybe we'll get there. And that's the, the whole law is pointing to Christ. So the Holy Spirit makes us alive by giving us spiritual life. We are literally raised from spiritual death in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is said to dwell in us. So our, la our last time in Romans 8, we finish with verse 11. If, in this, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If we're in Christ, and if the spirit dwells in us, we have this promise from God that he will give us life, spiritual life. That's a new heart that loves God, loves to obey God and worship him. We're given a new mind that seeks to follow God and to know God. We have a new master. We're no longer slaves to sin and to Satan and to the world, but we are now, Jesus is our master, and we get to follow him. We have confidence and assurance of eternal life. We have a Father in heaven who loves us. The Spirit not only gives us a new Father, but when we have life in the Spirit, let it be, he gives us a spiritual family. In verse 12, we're called brothers. The word in the Greek means brothers or brothers and sisters. It denotes a unity and a, a fellowship, a community with one another. See, what Paul is drawing, he's drawing his, the readers, the letter, the church at Rome, he's drawing their attention to who they are as a group, a new body, a new family. Because if God is your father, then you have a part in God's family. You are not alone. When God gives you his spirit, he places you in his church. And that's church universal and church local. That's why church membership matters, to be counted among the body of Christ. And this is why only the gospel can solve the problem of divisions that we see on the news and hear about every day. Racial, economic divisions, political turmoil, 
Only the gospel can solve these things because, Romans 6, you are not your own, but if you are in Christ, you belong to God. When you experience the new birth, we experience regeneration by the Holy Spirit, then and only then can we be brothers and sisters in the most truest sense of the word because we are one in Christ. So the Spirit not only gives us a spiritual family, but let us see the Spirit gives us by His new life, He gives us a divine focus. Paul says that believers here, we, we are debtors. We have a, an obligation but it's not an obligation to sin anymore, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Instead, we have a holy obligation. We are constrained. We're, we aspire to, we're driven to, not to live in sin, but to live in godliness. When Paul says in verse 13, that if you live according to the flesh, you will die, he's not talking about, he's not suggesting that a child of God can lose their salvation. Because that would counteract the glorious promise in verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that Paul's not talking about a loss of salvation, but he is highlighting here again, just like he did in the previous section, just like he did in chapter 6, the danger of sin. It's dangerous. Don't mess around with sin. To be sure, Christians still struggle with sin, and there is sin that indwells in us. We must fight against it. Paul dealt with that in chapter 7. But when a Christian sins willfully, by choice, like intentionally sinning or intentionally forgetting, not obeying, God will remove our assurance. If there's one who claims to be a follower of Christ, but will not put their sin to death, chooses willfully to live in sin, they're in serious danger. And they, they may not be born again. We must test and examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Think about it like this. If someone says, yes, I am in Christ. He died for me. He is my Savior. But then continue day after day without any fighting, without any mortification of sin, to continue living the same sinful way for which Jesus died in the first place. That doesn't match. That, that's a hypocrisy. It doesn't fit. If we've been given life by the Spirit, our, that new life in us should lead us to put our sin to death and pursue godliness. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's help, and that's the promise in verse 13. Paul, he says this in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We need the Spirit's help. And verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Instead, we ought to love one another. So Paul's instruction here when he says to put to death the deeds of the body, he's not talking about moralism. Because on our own, we cannot put our sin to death. Which is why Paul gives the promise, if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit gives us the will and the power to say no to sin when it comes. The Spirit can direct our thoughts. He directs our thoughts, changes our desires, leads us to the way of escape that God promises in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. When temptation comes, He provides the way of escape. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He's making us holy. He is conforming us to the image of Christ so that Christ is more glorified. That's why we can, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body and the glorious truth, you will live forever. It's John Owen, he said it this way. Our union with Christ and the power of the Spirit enable us to mortify sin. That's, that's to put to death the deeds of the body. All attempts at mortification without a true interest in Christ are vain. It doesn't take an external. We need an internal change. I love Christ and Christ glorified, Christ in me. That will lead us by the Spirit to put our sin to death. So it's a means that God gives us. God intends for us to live. And the means by which this happens is by putting our sin to death and walking in step with the Spirit. So followers of Christ can gain holy confidence as we have life in the Spirit. And secondly, when we are led by the Spirit. This is verses 14 and 15. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We just sang that song. We're no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. So letter A, this life that the Spirit gives us, as He's leading us, we find that we have been adopted in Christ. As the Holy Spirit leads us, We have confidence that we are indeed sons of God. Our legal standing has changed before God. If we're in Christ, we're justified. And the only way that we can become a child of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. We cannot work our way into God's family. And because that's true, we cannot work our way out of God's family. If we have been adopted by God, we are His forever. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1, verse 5, He predestined us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Only through Christ. And this is according to the purpose of His will. Why, Paul? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So to be led by the Spirit means that as an adopted child of God, we want to seek God. We want to know God. We want to know God as our Father. So we can commune with God in prayer when we seek his face. And as we see God revealed to us in the scriptures and through Christ, we want to fellowship with with one another in Christ as a church family. We want to please and glorify God in everything we think and feel and do. Not because we have to, but because we, we want to love, we love our Heavenly Father. He saved us. He adopted us. He's made us His own. We want to do things that honor Him, and we want to avoid the things that dishonor Him. And none of these things make us right with God, but it's because if we are a son, we are led. If we are led, it's because we've been given life already. It's because of who we are. That God, God has done this in us already, not that we have to work our way to Him. Paul says it in Galatians 4, 4, 4 through 6. You can search that out on your own. We've been through Galatians before. So to stay in Romans 8, not only 
Not only have we been adopted in Christ, but we have been given, let her be, as we're led by the Spirit, we have all access with the Father. Look at verse 15 again. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, we can cry to God, Abba, Father. Children of God have a different spirit. See, before God saved us, Paul said we had a spirit of slavery. We used to be slaves to sin. And this causes great fear. We fear death. We fear God, his wrath, his punishment. We fear God because he he was our judge. And we were all condemned before him at one time because we do not keep his law. There's a fear that can be a fear of failure. I have to appease God. I have to make him happy. Children of God don't think that way anymore. We don't need to think that way anymore because the Spirit leads us, leads us into God's presence. We can be confident that God has adopted us himself. God was our judge, but now he is our father. He's our dad. And now we can pray with Jesus, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now God may, God may and God does discipline his children that we might share in his holiness, Hebrews says. But he will never cast us away. This is the case even with our human parents, our human fathers. God intends for our parents to be ones that we go to, that we know that we are loved. And so how much more so our Father in heaven? I remember one time I was around the age of 10. I was playing in the neighborhood and just out with some of my friends. And there was one, one kid that lived in the neighborhood. He was kind of, kind of mean, kind of a bully. And um, so I just was out with my friends, and he came just cruising along on his bicycle, and I didn't like him very much, and he didn't like me, so I, I'm out of here. I'm going home, and he, he chased me with his bike, chased me down the street, and I, I'm turning, I'm running, and he goes, and he just plowed right over me. He just rolled me I'm under the tires. I hit my head on the sidewalk, and I just totally got run over by this guy and his bike, and I was scared, and I got hurt, and I'm crying, and I ran straight home. I ran straight home after that and I, I didn't know I just remember just crying mom dad I, I was so scared and I ran home my parents took care of me and eventually my head neck just hurt and <laughs> so my dad he he loved me and he took me to the urgent care and he, he we had to go I had this bruise on my neck and took me got an x-ray and uh, it was just a, a I didn't know what was going on I was 10 and Got ran over, but my, my parents, they loved me, and I, I knew right where to go. I knew right where to go. And God intends for us to go to him as our Father in heaven. He loves to hear our prayers. That's the same, the same way. If we're in Christ, we relate to God. Now he's our Father in heaven, and we can cry out to him, Father. That's where God intends for us to go. He t- intends for us to go to him. We have all access with the Father now. And as the Spirit leads us, not only do we have, not only have we been adopted in Christ, and we have all access with the Father, but let us see, we have now a powerful and personal advocate in the Holy Spirit. See, because Paul describes the Spirit here uh, this way, is this, the Spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit gives confidence to all who are God's children that we indeed belong to His family. 
An advocate is someone who identifies with us and goes, goes for us. That represents us and intercedes for us, but also identifies with us. And the Holy Spirit does that for us before the Father, before the throne. He testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. He gives us the spirit of adoption. John MacArthur, he, he said it this way. God makes certain that his children know they are his children. Because of his spirit dwelling in our hearts, our spirit recognizes that we are always privileged to come before God as our beloved Father. The Spirit identifies with us and He leads us. He leads us into God. We can go to His presence. We are welcome in God's family. And if you're not a part of God's family today, know that in Christ alone, by faith in Christ, you are welcome to come into God's family today. When you turn from your sin and trust in Him, the invitation is open. This leads us really to our third point. Not only are we given life by the Spirit, not only are we led by the Spirit, but we are locked in by the Spirit. This is verses 16 and 17, Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. When we are locked in by the Spirit, we are recognized as God's children. The Holy Spirit, He advocates for us, but He also gives us an internal confirmation within us that we are God's children. We were at one time children of wrath, children of disobedience. It's Ephesians 2. But God is so merciful and so gracious that He would take us into His family through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John says it this way in John 1.12. But to all who, Jesus, he came, he was rejected by his people, he was rejected by those who should have, should have recognized that Jesus is God. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, as Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God himself caused us to become his children. That's what we're locked in. God has done this for us, and we get, we get the joy, we get the privilege of being his children. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit so that our eternal standing before God is confirmed forever. It's, it's, that's the end of Ephesians 1. So we're recognized as God's children, and let it be, we are joint heirs with Christ. Because we belong to God, all of the, bless, all the blessings and riches of knowing God, they become ours in Christ. We have fellowship with God, and we get to share in that in Christ. Jesus has communion and fellowship with God, and we get to be with God through Christ. For the Christian, God himself becomes our greatest possession, our greatest treasure. Our, we have heavenly riches now. Listen to John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. This is, this is prophesied even before in Psalm 2. With the psalmist that will be fulfilled in Christ, asking me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. That's for Christ, and that's, 
If we are in Christ, we are joint heirs with him. We have all riches belong to us in Christ. We're joint heirs. We get to share in God forever. I once had the opportunity to go and just take part, and there was an adoption hearing that was taking place, and I was invited, just, just come. Just, this, this proceedings have been settled, the documentation's in place, and we're going to the courthouse. Just come and celebrate with us. So I was invited, and I went to the courthouse for, during this final adoption hearing, and the judge, the father's there at the, the, the seat that he's in, and the judge is at the bench, and he's asking these questions of the father. He's saying, do, do you understand that if you adopt this child, they are yours now. You carry the, the right and the, the responsibility of caring for this child now falls on you. And you understand that if you adopt this child, they now are entitled to a share of your inheritance, your, your possessions, they're entitled, they're, they're counted as your heir, as though they were your child by birth. Do you recognize this? And going through all the, all the legal proceedings, and then the judge paused for a moment, and he looked at the father, and he said, Do you love this child? Do you love this child? And the father says, Yes. And the gavel falls and is adopted. And hug and all around and right in tears. Everybody's crying in the front of the courthouse. And that's forever now. This child is part of that family. Sealed. We are locked in by the Spirit. The Spirit does this internal work in us that we recognize that if we are in Christ, we are an heir with Christ. The love of God that has for us in Christ is infinite. The Father is pleased to love us and to share His Son with us. We share with Christ. He's, he's not only our Savior, He's our elder brother. If Hebrews says that. And we'll, we'll get there in Romans 8. So, not only are we joint heirs with Christ, but we will, let us see, we will share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus Christ suffered during his first coming. And because of this, we should not be surprised when trials and suffering come. No one in this life is exempt from trials or suffering. Jesus suffered. He suffered. He was put to death on the cross. So when we go through despair, pain, difficulty, we, we may be tempted to think that God isn't good or he doesn't love us or he's not powerful. He can't do anything about it. Or I'm going to be tempted to think that I'm the only one going through suffering. And that's not true. When the early church suffered, they prayed for greater boldness in Acts 4, that they might share the word of God in greater ways. Paul persecuted the church. But when he was converted, the Lord, he, Lord through Ananias said, Acts 9, the Lord said to him, Go, go speak to Paul. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for, suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's suffering was for Christ and with Christ. It was for the glory of God and for the good of the church. So when we experience suffering, let's take heart and run to God in our suffering. He loves us. The Father in heaven loves us. We can go to him. When we experience trials and suffering in this life, take confidence in Christ. 
knowing that God is provident. His hand is powerful and his hand is good. Suffering, God means it for us to produce perseverance. God uses it for our good and his glory, and which that leads us really to letter D. That's what Paul says, we will suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Letter D, we will share in Christ's glory. Suffering for and with Christ prepares us for glory because we long to be with Christ and where he is. We long to be done with sin. We long to be done with suffering. We long to be with Jesus. Jesus has been highly exalted. He's the fullness of God, the full representation of God's glory. Remember on the mountain, the glory of Christ, he's transfigured, was revealed for just a moment. And Peter and James and John, they were speechless. They, they were stunned at the glory of Christ. When Christ returns at his victory and his glory will be on full display. And believers, children of God, will say, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Not of me, but all of him. So this, this, the Apostle John said it best in 1 John 3. See what love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Settled at the cross. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There's going to be suffering. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Glory's coming. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because why? We will see him as he is in his full glory, face to face. And therefore, he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him, has confidence in him, will purify himself as he is pure. And so the promise really comes to a close at Revelation 21, 7. The one who conquers will have this as his heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. We can take confidence. In suffering and in trials, it's all going somewhere for God's glory and we will share in his glory. So how can followers of Christ live with holy confidence? We're given life by the Spirit. We must be given life by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit. And if we've been given life, and if we are led by the Spirit, then we can be confident we are locked in by the Spirit. So a question or two of application. Where do I long to grow in godly confidence? What's an area of your life that you desire to grow in godly confidence? And then secondly, how does a person become a child of God? Are you a child of God? The invitation is open today to receive Christ, to believe in Christ, and we will be counted as his sons forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the fullness of your glory displayed in Christ. And that in Christ, we get to be counted among your family. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit 
who opens our eyes to the glory and beauty of Christ that leads our hearts to him. You are the God of our salvation. You're the joy of our souls, our hearts, our lives. So Father, I pray, conform us to Christ, that Christ may be magnified in us. Fill us with your spirit. We don't have to be afraid anymore, but we can have fullness of courage. We can have boldness that we can glorify you and enjoy you forever. Fill our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.